0: Hello and welcome to the Rodolfo Rivas Project. I'm very happy to be hosting a very good friend of mine, Mauricio Salcedo. He's the Deputy Permanent Representative of Colombia to the World Trade Organization. Unfortunately he soon will be leaving Geneva, but I'm happy to have caught him before his trip back. He tell us about his experience growing up in Colombia, how he fell in love with trade, And he also gave us his thoughts about the current state of the WTO and where we can expect it to go from here. Although he might not sound optimistic, he's a pretty optimistic guy and a very good friend of mine, as I said. I hope you enjoy the show. Take it away, Mauricio. I'm really happy to have uh, my friend, uh, Mauricio, Mauricio uh, de la Misión de Colombia. ¿Cómo estás, Mauricio?
1: Muchas gracias, Rodolfo. Muy contento de estar acá contigo en tu podcast y siendo invitado al Rodolfo Rivas Project. <laughs> <laughs> Let's uh,
0: switch back to English. I just wanted to say hi in Spanish as our native language. But uh, Mauricio, I'm really happy to have you here because uh, you were one of the guest that I wanted to have here for a long time, I just couldn't do it, but now finally, unfortunately you are leaving, but just yeah. before you leave, it's good that you are here.
1: Well no, I, I'm very happy to be here, very glad to be able to to participate in, in your project. Um, I, I have been one of your followers and your friend, <laughs> uh, uh, perhaps you were one of my first friends when I arrived here. Um, Long wait, almost three years ago. Well, three years ago, more than three years ago, eh, in two thousand sixteen, and and so I'm very happy to to be here in in, in the podcast and being able with eh, of sharing with a eh, with you and with your followers and and people around the world that follow this podcast eh, some of my experiences and uh, in life and. And my views on 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 trade that is my my passion and also my, my profession <laughs> I actually it's
0: it's good that you mentioned the first time we met because actually I remember it uh, quite clearly and I think that's why like we had something in common because you you were carrying a notebook with a cover of Batman yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you remember that
1: yeah, yeah I remember that you you, you asked me about my my laptop that has that has uh and my and my notebook that has stickers of batman and <laughs> it happens that i am a huge fan of comics and i i am proud of my collection <laughs> of of comics in um, i yeah and, and i have like a very diverse collection in some way uh, with a particular topic but uh, but uh, but i'm very proud of my collection and i'm usual usual Buyer of comics and a band de cine.
0: Yeah, actually, that, that's really good, and that's one of the reasons that I first uh, wanted to talk to you because it's, it's difficult to find people in this world, like uh, diplomacy, that are like, have these other, or maybe they are, they have them, but they don't show them openly. And you were like, open about your love for comics, and yeah, people. I
1: love comics, and actually, I the truth of the matter is. That the 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 main topic of my collection is Femme Fatale in comics. Ah, okay. So I try to collect comics um, about Femme Fatale. Yeah. And so I have a lot of comics about Catwoman and <laughs> Witchblade and who else? Well, Tom Rider is not that much uh, part of my collection, but I have some of them, and also. Mm, a lot of bande dessinée, French bande dessinée, and Dutch comics uh, that are like single issues, but uh, are related to this topic. Aside of that, of course, I have Tantan and other yeah. comics that are quite famous. And that I'm buying those comics more for my kids than yeah. than for me. That, but I, I actually, I, I, I fell in love. I, I fell in love in co- with comics. Uh, with Tantan, yeah, many years ago. So, so that's why I'm also trying to collect a decent, a, decent, <laughs> a collection of, of Tantan comics. Well, I, I
0: I love that. I'm equally a fan of those. But let's go back to the beginning.
1: You are originally from Colombia. Where where are you? Where were you born? I I was born in Bogota. I was born in Bogota a um, long time ago. <laughs> I was born in Bogota. I studied in Bogota. My, my father, he's from Ecuador, from Ecuador, and my mother is from, from, from Bogota. And my father is from a small city in the south of Ecuador that is very, very pretty. It's called Cuenca. And so my childhood was in between, well, mainly in Bogota, but also vacations. In ecuador. In, in ecuador with my grandmother and my my uncles and my aunts in in ecuador
0: what, what brought your father from ecuador to colombia
1: he's a doctor so he went to colombia to specialize mm-hmm. as a pediatric surgeon so okay. he he well he he met my mother and he decided to stay he fell in love <laughs> yeah, yeah he fell in love <laughs> and he fell in love and, well, eh, he married my mother and then eh, actually we went f- he actually went, he tried to, 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 to go back to Ecuador to, to live there with us. Eh, I was less one, than one year old, but, but eh, I mean, they didn't feel that, that well and they decided to go back to Colombia and, and they basically made their life in Colombia. Mm.
0: Uh, your, your mother, what did she do?
1: My mother, she's a a physical therapist and and she's also somebody very religious and I'm very proud of my, the liberal mind of my father and the religious mind of my mother. And I am, I, I like to think that I am a combination of those two issues and to, to ways of a looking at the world yeah looking at the world and basically assessing and waiting life and, and so so yeah i'm a religious person but i am also a liberal person in the sense that i like to respect all the ways of living and um, and happening and and i am happy that way as well
0: <laughs> so. and i guess they i mean their profession led them to help other people and i guess that also
1: yeah that's true my my two parents they they worked a lot and they made their professional careers a lot in relation with charities and charity hospitals and in the health in healthcare public system of mm-hmm. Colombia and my my sister she's also a doctor um, and she's also in the public health uh, industry um and I think that both my my siblings and I, we my, my brother, he's a he's a, a data scientist, and we have that education of uh, and that formation from our parents on on the on that public services is, is important and civil service is important and to serve is important mm-hmm. and and the fact that it's good to try to make work for making this world better, so.
0: And um, how was life growing up, like, was it in the 70s? Like, how was life in Colombia? It was, no, it was
1: it was the 80s and the 90s, the and I'm not that old. Yeah. <laughs> in, the,
0: in the 80s, sorry.
1: <laughs> in the 80s and the 90s. And, well, those were challenging times in Colombia, uh, full of full of challenges, and, well, there were... There were violence, as everybody knows. Uh, uh, there were not easy times for my country, and however, we were able to to grow up in a safe environment, I will say, and and um, very well protected, medium class uh, in in Bogota um, and in. Um, were nice times as well. I, I remember my childhood and and my uh, years as a teenager uh, with with care and love and and I mean and then and and then my years in the university as well. Uh, uh, I, I praise them those years as some of the best years of my life as well.
0: But when you were growing up and you mentioned the violence around. How did you perceive it? Were you like aware of what was going on? Uh, was it removed from you? Like your parents talked about it? Your
1: no, we were very much aware of what was going on, and of course the situation was very difficult. For instance, in nineteen eighty nine, I think that was a very awful year, eh, because of the systemic attack of of the Medellin cartel to, to the institutions of Colombia. I am also very proud, and I am proud as a Colombia for the, re- the way that Colombians managed to overcome that situation and that crisis. And those years were, were terrible. The, the assassination of Luis Carlos Galán, that was perhaps one of the most important leaders in Colombian history, was awful was awful. something that i have a very clear at this time in my mind i remember when my 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 father got into my room because it was at night and my my father got into my room and told me look this has happened but it was something that it was announced we were it was a tragedy an announced tragedy we were expecting that to happen anytime time because we, he was basically fighting against the cartel, uh, and he was really facing them in such a hard manner that uh, that it was something that it was about to happen. Then, then when they they started bombing Bogota and Medellin and other cities, and it was it was very tough. Then, then the years with after after Palosco, the years of violence with the FARC were also awful. But perhaps I think that well, both were terrible. But perhaps the, the years of Pallascar were the more challenging, most challenging. Yeah.
0: I realize that you're probably tired of talking about this, and I can relate because no, 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 no. Not at all. Everyone, no, no. whenever people find out I'm from Mexico, they they tell me, "Oh, you must be like this." But I can relate. I remember, I was also very young. And the candidate for president was uh, killed in Mexico with Ronaldo conocio. I remember i was watching I was getting ready to watch The Simpsons and they interrupted uh, The Simpsons to tell this and I remember this like really marked my my life at an early age i don't know if I really comprehended what that meant for the country, but it really I think it changed the, the way I perceive the world. Like anything can happen at any moment.
1: No, no, no. I I think that the 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 the, the, the situation from uh, my early years. I have been very much aware of of politics and and my parents. They are not activists. I I mean they they are not really in activism. They are just professionals, middle class professionals. But the thing is that, uh, I was. I mean, they were. We were really hoping this guy to be president, mm. this Carlos Galan, and in how he was not able to be president, his successor, the 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 one that took over, Cesar Gaviria, is perhaps one of the most important presidents in the history of Colombia, because of the constitution and and the way that he handled the things with with Pablo Escobar. He was a, able to eliminate the cartel and so on. And and so, so the the thing is that 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 moment perhaps uh, was a was a crucial time, uh, and it's something that I think that almost every Colombian remembers with a lot of pain. Also, uh, the attack, the terrorist attack against uh, the different terrorist attacks against Bogota, when when they attack uh, El Nogal club. Mm in the middle of Bogota or when they attacked, when there was the attack of the, the Justice Palace. And I think that those are things that everybody in Colombia remember and remember with, with pain. And and we very much uh, think that those years were, were terrible years in that sense. Anyhow, I think that the Colombian people are very resilient. And we were able to to overcome that situation, and it seems to me that it was similar to, to the to the defiance and the challenge that the farc represented years after mm. that 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 situation of 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 Escobar, and then and then. Well, they, there are a lot of bad things about the Colombian establishment, but there are also positive things, and I think that this resilience is there. And I, I I pressed that. I pressed that.
0: So um, when this was going on uh, and you were growing up, what led you to become a lawyer? Why did you decide to go to law school? Mm. What these challenges that you were facing? I was, in politics?
1: I was I was I was I have loved social sciences all my life. I remember talking with my father about history. Since I was very young, in and logic and argumentation and philosophy, they have been always also on my interest, and I and, and I re- rely on that, and I and I I was uh, very happy for for being able to engage on those topics. So when I got to the point that I was about to decide, and I was very much interested in. In law and history, in and I, I tried to pursue both careers. However, I was not able really to 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 continue history once I I graduated from 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 law.
0: you wanted to do a? Uh,
1: yeah, especially? I was wanting to to do a lot of history classes with some, uh, trying foreshadowing to at some point being able to complete my history uh, degree, but. Uh, uh, I was not able, I, I made perhaps five semesters or something. Oh, but you did, like you did? Yeah, I was like a, in my university, Los Andes University, it was possible to, to pursue both careers at the same time. So in the time I was doing law, I started taking history classes. And, but then when I graduated from law, I, well, I had one brother and one sister, two siblings, and it was not that easy for me to continue studying. At that time, it eh, was 1999, eh, eh, the, the Colombian economy was not doing that, was not performing that well. So, so it was just, for me, imperative to go out and work. Yeah. And then I got, I started working for Andean community and oh, for really. some of the institutions of the Indian community and at that time and uh, that's how I got engaged on these topics so before that when you were studying did you, did you ever consider a trade? Uh, at internet? that time it was not that clear for me the trade side but it was quite clear the international law side okay. so I was very much in love into international law uh, I found it very very interesting yeah. in, and in, so so at that time I was not that much aware of the WTO but I was more into ICJ things and into the humanitarian, human rights international law uh, site um, and then, when I got uh, uh, involved in this work with with, with the Indian community, I, I started learning about uh, economic integration, international economic law. Then, I just soon after I graduated from from Los Andes, I got into the degree on economic law in in External University that it was it, we have some sort of graduate degrees in Colombia that are we call it specializations but okay. they are just like master's degrees of one year, one year and a half. And we go two hours every day to these these graduate schools. And, and then we had like this uh, field of expertise and we developed this field of expertise about after this. This time in law school, so I, I actually I did that uh, with economic law at uh, Externado University. That is also some of the of the very important law school in Colombia. Well, there are five law, very important law schools in Bogota and Los Andes, and Externado are two of them. Um, so then I I was um, able to to met to meet. Um, Claudia Uribe, the former ambassador yeah. of Colombia, that now she works here for the ITC. So she was my professor at that time, and I started, and she was already somebody very well known in, in Colombian trade diplomacy. Um, she was about to be appointed vice minister just after that. And she, she was my professor, my good friend, and she was able to introduce me to some of these topics. So,
0: well, that that's also a pretty lucky break for you. Yeah, <laughs> not everyone has that opportunity. But uh, I was gonna say that you were saying that uh, in Colombia, maybe you were not aware uh, about the uh, international trading system, maybe as much. But I think that has changed in the in the past few years. Now Colombia is like really well integrated, and they are they're usually one of the best teams in the moot court and they have like this uh, I don't know, I think they're leading the region and they're punching above their weight. Is that a fair assessment?
1: Yeah, yeah, I think that is a fair assessment. What what happens is, I think that... Mm, I think that we are very proud of a, a, from our trade diplomacy and I'm part of that trade diplomacy and as a member of that, I think that we have some people that have been very important for the system. Perhaps the most notorious figure in the, that sense is uh, Felipe Jaramillo, mm-hmm. that he was also my colleague and my mentor and my professor in, in, in the ministry years after. Uh, that was the, the chair uh, of the negotiating group that developed uh, what we know Nowadays, as the GATS. Mm. Uh, but he was also sharing the um, negotiating um, group that uh, conducted to the uh, market access uh, uh, agreements and concessions in the Uruguay Round. So, in um, So Felipe was really somebody very, very important for 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 the system and for us. Because he in some way he shaped um, he shaped the system. But also after him were some very brilliant minds came, like, and some of them are people well known in Geneva. One was Claudia that I already mentioned her, well Ricardo Melendez, Alejandro Gamboa that are here and then others um, our ambassadors in um, all our ambassadors, in some way, they have uh, led their touch in the in the system and in 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 the in the trade in the Colombian trade uh, style. And then, then we had very important diplomats like Claudio Orozco Olga Lozano, and, and and others that have been able to really shape uh, the way that we 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 see the system and that we. Um, Address the system and how we made our way on the on the system. So when I was when I was in law school, perhaps it was not a, a Colombian thing; it was more my thing that I was not really that aware of the system. But then when I met Claudia, she, I I I, I remember that I had this thing that she used to take me to my office eh, after class. And in we used to talk a lot every time she was taking me back, she was giving me this right to my office uh, because the external university is in the downtown of the in downtown in, nearby Monserrate and usually some of the offices are in the north of the of the city. so uh, taking me back and giving me this right, we used to talk a lot and and in these conversations during the, the that that uh, time uh, I learned a lot. About this issue uh, and and the pride that we uh, felt about our trade diplomacy and our people, the people that the Colombian people that have engaged in trade diplomacy. And um, so then I learned, I started learning about the WTO and starting uh, having this interest for the WTO. So uh, I, I continued working in economic integration and then I, w- I went to work uh, as a private practitioner but having some businesses in Congress and also in, in things related to, to the Andean community and we have a very much active uh, litigation with the Andean community and then tribunal. And then in 2005 I decided to go to the States to to do so my at this
0: point you were not working for the government yet
1: no i, I was not working for the government and i decided to, to change years to say look let's try to have a second act in my life mm. and let's go for a master's degree in the states and then i applied to several universities and, and i at some point decided to go to, to georgetown and georgetown at that time was uh, john jackson and the program eh, in WTO law. Yeah. And then I met, well, people that are very important also for the system and that helped me to, to shape my my career, like all eh, just Pauline, that is still my, my professor and my friend.
0: You met him there? There.
1: I yeah. met him there. He was my professor at the time of international trade. And of course, I met. John Jackson and Jennifer Hillman, and Grant Aldonas—people that are very important as uh, thinkers of, of the system. It's
0: probably one of the best places you can go for pure trade uh, uh, education.
1: I, I think so. I think I think that is. I think that law school, my my master's degree in Georgetown, definitely was something very important for my career and when i was done with the masters i then i got recruited by the columbia government just how, after how that.
0: does that work the like i mean you,
1: did you know some people there or Well, the the, the 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 story the story is kind of funny because i was working at that time in washington in a, in a complex litigation i was doing some some securities actually I was working in one litigation related to the to the to the subprime Oh. crisis and debt, and so I was like a very junior a, a attorney and I was kind of bothered because as a foreign associate you are nobody <laughs> <laughs> so I was uh when I left Colombia, I had some some reputation already and some background and uh, some respect uh, for, for my career when I got to the States it was not so it. I was yeah I was <laughs> nobody so I was basically taking copies and uh, mm. doing very basic drafting and very, uh, some kind of discovery and participating in some very tiny issues. So then, then what happened is that um, I got a call by, by the head of the unit, uh, the International Legal Affairs Bureau of the Ministry of Trade. And she told me, look, I well, the, the, the name of this person is Marigenia Llorea, and she, she called me and she was my classmate at law school, uh, but we were not really friends at that time. And she called me and, and told me, look, we, we need somebody to come here and work, and uh, in a particular case that we are about to start, and um, uh, we saw your resume because I was applying everywhere, <laughs> and um, we will very much look forward to to see to talk with you and see where it's possible to for you to come back to colombia and um well we have this selection process there are some candidates but uh, we have your resume we will like you to 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 be there and I was like amazed and puzzled by the fact that there was an international legal affairs bureau in Colombia. <laughs> <laughs> you, you, you were not uh, aware about it. I was not aware at
0: all. Even I was, having I was, worked in the... I, in I, always,
1: the I, I always wanted to work at the Ministry of Trade because it has been always seen for years before I, I was working at the... before I was working at the ministry, I saw the ministry as a place of excellency. Yeah. But I was not aware that the ministry had this unit. I was like kind of amazed by the fact that there was a a bureau actually in charge just of these topics Mm -hmm. and then I started learning and trying to find out exactly and I found out that the people working for this bureau were amazing and were all of them very well prepared and trained and that this was actually a place of of excellency. Yeah. So, um... well, b-
0: before because I, I mentioned it before about the the importance of Colombia and the multilateral training system, and you mentioned very senior individuals. But in order for them to get there, there has to be like this uh, education that goes for everyone, and that's why I'm talking about uh, in Colombia. There's hundreds of like really well-trained professionals I- in trade. How do you? How does Colombia do this?
1: Well, I think that there, that it, it it is related to something is that something that people perhaps do not eh, are able to 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 tell at first sight is in um, the the structure of the Colombian government is that perhaps well in you know you know Brazil because of Itamaraty and the diplomacy school and. Uh, also, Argentina and Chile—they have these very strong uh, diplomatic schools. Argentina has also the Chile also has the Chicago Boys. That this is very orthodox economic school that have been able to handle in a very successful manner the, the economy um, of of Chile. Uh, you also know the 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 uh, the, the, the economic a bureaucracy and, a, of Peru, but also they have this Torre Tagle School of Diplomacy that is very prestigious. You have the Mexican Diplomacy that is also very, very solid and very prestigious. And you have the people from the Secretary of Economy or are, are also some of the best negotiators in the world. Um, and, um, but then, then the Colombians are kind of something that you don't you really assess well. And and you really don't have a taste of look what is the 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 I mean in in what particular field these people are strong. So the thing is that in and what is the them their background and what is yeah the, perhaps the the most strong point on 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 their background and the way that they deal with a a government. So the thing is that. My my guess and my take is that the economic side of the, go- the Colombian government is perhaps one of the most orthodox and developed in, in in the region, and that's the reason why, in some way, even though the situation in Colombia of instability and violence, the Colombian economy has been stable for years and yeah. for decades. Yeah, so Colombia once has a very mall recession in 1982 and then a very small uh, recession also in two in 1999 and then the situation has been stable we do not grow at 6 percent but we grow at 4 percent or steadily. yeah and steadily so the, that that's something and the reason in my opinion is um, very much related to the people and the the bureaucrats. So the people from the ministry, the people, that trade lawyers, uh, are part of this community of economic, uh, civil servants and bureaucrats and also, well, for instance, the the economy schools in Colombia are very important institutions. So the economy school of Los Andes University, of Nacional University are very important for, for, for thinking the country and thinking the way the country develops. And, and I think that trade lawyers are basically from this group of people. Are, they belong to this group of people.
0: And also it's interesting what you said, that they actually look for you. So they also like to nurture the, the talent. They, they seek out the talent and they encourage it.
1: I, I think so. I think so. I, I think that, eh, and actually, when you are well now, when in the when the position that I, that I am nowadays, eh, well, I'm also looking for the same. I'm also looking for people to come and be part of the leader. So now you you mentioned- <laughs> I will say it in, the, in a very <laughs> colloquial manner, but be part of the leader to be to be long to to, to start becoming to carry the torch yeah, for exactly, the next generation. Exactly, exactly, exactly. Uh- yeah, but also be part of the leader in the sense that. We need people to come and be trained and learn and and also carry the torch for the next generation. Uh,
0: what do you were saying, I mean, you you were helped out or you were mentored in some way
1: by some of these towering figures in trade. Uh, well, I think how, that I think that I I, I, I think you, that I think that yeah. Well, at the very beginning it was Claudia, but then my ambassadors, my former vice ministers and ambassadors, um Muñoz, Eduardo Muñoz, uh, Gabriel Duque. Gabriel Duque was very important in my, my professional evolution. Um, and he, for sure, he was a mentor in, in my career. And also, but all, some of my bosses, chief negotiators, Javier Gamboa and Santiago Pardo, as you, as you mentioned, I, I was not realizing that much, but we really have a big community of, of Thinkers and people that are important thinking this topic. I think it is well known and it's
0: uh, yeah. Well, Colombia, like uh, it's it's up there. But what I wanted to ask is, so you received some of this mentorship, maybe not directly, indirectly, or however you got it. But are you doing the same for new and upcoming? Uh, yeah,
1: I'm trying to do the same. I'm trying to do the same. I'm trying to be engaged. And it was you. You mentioned you're right. I mean, were people like a. It was direct and direct. In, I mean, people are not promoted on their own. Yeah. <laughs> somebody is promoting you. Somebody is mentoring you. Uh, somebody in some way is guiding you. You are learning from examples that are are pe- people are giving. So very often, I, I remember something with one ma- of my bosses that is now the ambassador in Japan, Santiago. When I got ha- when I got to the ministry. Soon after, um, I was invited to become part of the Colombian negotiating team, Colombian trade negotiating team. Santiago was our chief negotiator that, at that time. And he told me, mm, he told me, Look, eh, I mean, we want you to be part of the team, but we do not want you to be the head of a particular negotiation. Want you to be there learning for a while, and I was Caban Santiago. I mean, I'm coming from Georgetown, <laughs> <laughs> so you know, it's like a matter of, I mean, right. I, I have yeah. I have the train, you know, uh, it was John Jackson's student Pauline. No, no, no. We know we, we 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 know that, and we praise you for that. That that's very good. We want you to be in the team, but you have to learn how to negotiate. And I was no, no, no. But I mean. I should be leading okay. the negotiation. Yeah, I should be leading. I, I should be on the front, and and he was saying no, 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 you are going to be drafting, taking notes, learning, and of course, I was not very happy with that. But then, I learned that they were basically training me. Yeah. And but but and how
0: long I, before you were open to
1: to that? I was I was almost two years in the training process at the ministry. And it was the same with uh, the, there was uh, that was one story that was funny and and then after one year and a half or something, Santiago gave me a negotiating team, the the customs. I was the 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 customs negotiator of Colombia for for almost five years. And Santiago told me, okay, so now okay. Uh, I, I can see that you are ready to, to lead your own team. So go ahead. So, but it was it was so it was good, and I now I, I I thank him because the way that he handled things so but it was the same with with my vice minister and then former ambassador eh, Munoz. he used to take me to meetings with eh, Pascal Lamy for the bananas negotiations
0: yeah uh, it was two
1: thousand nine two thousand and ten, and I was like, and Claudia was here handling things but then the vice minister was handling things on its own also so Munoz used to take me there to the meetings with Lamy and I was at the confessional meetings because we were in a proceeding that called the 1966 proceeding that is made of mediation uh, with the DG and yeah. uh, it has been the only one the only time that it has been used and then what happened is that um, I we were in the meeting and I then I heard something that I was interesting for me and perhaps that I was thinking that it was good to suggest something to to my boss. So I started making some comments in um, the meeting in the meeting uh, or passing some notes. past uh, Minister, I think that perhaps what the DG is meaning is this. So he was very patient. He's somebody very. A, I would say, very, he's like a British lord. He's very, very, very well behaved and very patient and he has these such polite manners. So, so the thing is that he was looking at me and telling me, no, 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 this is not what he meant. He meant this. And then he continued engaging with Lamy. And just after I say, okay, okay, okay. Then, after just, I just decided to suggest something else, and he, he again, was very kind with me uh, and told me, no, 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 uh, you are looking this the wrong way. What he wants is really this. Yeah. And I was, oh, okay, okay. And then, like, I think that soon after the third time, I made some kind of <laughs> <laughs> advice. I learned that Munoz was not taking me there for me to be able to advise him. But he but was training me yeah he was training me and and uh, that I was part of the school was part I was in the in the school. and then I realized how this business worked because <laughs> the thing is that the, 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 his, this business works not through I mean you, you of course it's important to have the education, the formal education it's important to go to class and to have the lectures that's very important but training is 70 percent of the of the work yeah you learn by doing the job by doing yeah
0: uh i think that because i i actually when you tell me this story i feel pretty much identified because i also when i went to school i was wondering why aren't people hiring me Mm. i went to this school like why aren't people Mm. hiring me But for me, it took a while before I let go of that, I don't know, pride or whatever you want to call it. How did you overcome, was it like a series of these kind of anecdotes that eventually led you to the realization? Or how how was it for you?
1: I think it was that, I mean, it, it was a combination. It was a combination of trust, confidence, and also these lessons of humbleness and on and of telling basically teaching me look this is the way it has to be it must be yeah and, and in a, in a very careful manner all the time i mean in a very kind manner i will not i mean i have fantastic relationship with all these guys that were in the process and 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 i learned a lot from all of them and in um, at some point i also learned that they started to hear what i was up uh, to say yeah and and really my my voice at some point they started listening what i was uh, saying uh because I got the respect and I, I show uh, what I was worthy uh, for and and I think that was the the, the the key thing in my in my in my professional evolution so 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 for me, um, I think that pride is important i am, I'm not saying that you should resign and should relinquish from pride, but it's a driver. But you know, but you, you have you to know exactly. where it takes you and yeah. you have to recognize ha- I had some friend that used to tell me, look, you can be a Mercedes. Perhaps you are a Mercedes, but you need to prove it.
0: Yeah.
1: And once you are able to prove it, then people will see that you are a Mercedes. Mm. In the meantime, you are perhaps a Cinco Cento. <laughs> <laughs> so um, I'm curious to
0: hear. A bit, I mean, I don't want to delve too much in this, but uh, what's your view on what's going on in the WTO right now, and what what is the future in the WTO?
1: Well, I you, I I learned something. I learned something when I was in Georgetown and hearing Paulin and Jackson and, and Aldonas. That his classes on trade and development were fantastic. And what I learned is that WTO, people think that WTO is about trade and people think that WTO is in some way something isolated from the UN system and the safety net system that was imposed after the World War II in order to prevent war again. And that is far from from right and from the truth. Actually, WTO was conceived not in the 90s, but in the, 40, in the 40s, and by the end of the war, as one of the uh, Bretton Woods uh, bodies. Yeah. And the reason why it was conceived at that time as a Piler as a fundamental stone of the this whole construction that is international law system was under this because was because there was on the back of the mind of these people was this thinking that when you have trade partners when you have the main world powers as trade partners, in some way you secure peace, yeah. because you don't want to eliminate, to get rid of your economic trade partner. By other means. Other means. Exactly. Yeah. So trade is part of the safety net. Um, so, being said this, of course, I think that what is going on is quite complex and quite sad. In the, say that, um, in, in the sense that by uh, the fact that the dolce in some ways is withering, uh, and that everything is that is happening is so sad, um, and the fact that global chains are in some way destroyed by the recent events in um, trade global chains that weaken the, the safety net, the safety net mm. as a whole. And I think that I think that we should be we should we should be very much concerned about and very much worried about the what is happening and but of course it's difficult also to blame just one government or one person for this situation. It's something that has been incubated, has been there for a while. And now, what is happening is that we are seeing uh, the evidence and uh, of this situation that has been incubated for a for a very long time. Yeah,
0: something that has been simmering there for yeah. some time, and it just like yeah, started yeah. to see the results. Yeah. But I, I agree with this. Uh, I think that um, we should be. I, I think we should be more concerned that we appear to be. Hmm. Maybe we are, but we don't appear to be as much. But what do you see as the way forward? How can we get out of this situation we are in?
1: No, I think that, I think, I I don't remember who who was the person that, uh, I learned that perhaps was Churchill, but perhaps I'm wrong, that used to say that politics are always local. The truth of the matter is that eh, if life conditions do not improve everywhere, and we always miss the point of, look, everything is connected. Look, social conditions, improving social conditions is something that is also important for the well-being the, the, of everyone. The, the, exactly. Then we are facing these kind of situations and so the the truth of the matter is that in several countries on the developed world, on the superpowers, eh, living conditions of people have decreased. Yeah. It's true that in China living conditions have improved, in Latin America many countries have improved their living conditions, but the mere fact that educational systems and healthcare systems uh, around the world, in some of the main economies are not longer that strong, are not longer satisfying, sufficient the, the needs of people. And are some of the elements that are at the, at the, at the roots of this crisis that we are, that we are facing and, and and that's one thing. The other thing is that, look, there are many I mean people with no education, people with bad healthcare, care, eh, people with no, with eh, not the very, the best information eh, submitted in some way to to massive amounts of information, but not very much able to tell the difference between good info and bad info, and are people very much exposed to make wrong decisions? Yeah. So, so the thing is that yes, democracy is very good, but democracy also works. Uh, In a particular environment, and the the individuals are committed to the system. Yeah, exactly. They learn. They yeah. And the thing is that well, the Germans, the Germans elected in the nineteen thirties the the National Socialist Party, and they voted for it. And and the outcome, we know, we all know the outcome but also this has a historical root in a bad settlement of the, of the World War yeah. First, And perhaps nowadays we are facing what was the consequence of a bad settlement of the, of the Cold War in mm. some ways. I mean, the the, the fact, that some of these countries that uh, in some way Lost the Cold War, they were disintegrated, and that they were uh, mistreated at some point is is one of at the roots, and it's basically at the origin of what we are facing nowadays. When these uh, countries are back uh, with a lot of power and a lot of resources, and in some way, this feeling of revenge and um,
0: Mauricio, but I don't feel so encouraging about your answer. <laughs> what's... what's uh, so how do you see it? Do, do to, you see it this bad? To,
1: I, uh, to work out this? Uh, I think that there should... Do you think
0: it's going to get a lot worse before it starts to get better?
1: Mm-hmm. I think that we should not feel discouraged. We should try to continue working. We should try to continue finding ways to overcome and work out the current uh, deadlock and the current situation. It's important to change our mentality. And when I say we, I mean the trade diplomats, the the trade bureaucrats, the people here at the WTO secretariat. in the people in the national trade services all around the world. We should try to reflect. Look, what is wrong? How is possible that we are here? I okay. think. Yeah. And and then trying to be earnest with the uh, the 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 response to that we give to those questions in order to to really assess and address and face the situation in a in a in a proper manner.
0: I think you're right because I think that we have new challenges that are coming up every day but we're still under the old mindset. Yeah. And we cannot solve the new challenges if we're looking at it from the old perspective.
1: Exactly. And, and this change is necessary. Exactly. So th- so the thing is that there are many things that have to be changed ha- that that must be changed. But in the problem is that this uh, look, we need in some way to protect the losers of international trade, and we need to address the concerns of the losers of international trade. That's one thing. The second thing is that we should be honest in the sense that WTO was not designed. The international trading system was not designed to take in non-market economies. the The way that the in the drafters of market agreement and the GATT thought about these non-market economies, a uh, was in in transitional uh, modes in transitional as transitional vehicles so um, non-market economy that is coming to be a becoming to be a market economy a this transitional period in order for that non-market economy to become this a market economy but it was not designed in order to it was not conceived in order to keep non market economies as non market economies forever. forever. And then now, what we have seen is that some of the market economies, traditional market economies, have been consistently adopting non market economy policies. Yeah. So, massive subsidization. Yeah. To counteract this kind of. I will not. I, w- I mean, to counteract, in part to counteract, but also in order to satisfy. Domestic concerns and domestic interests. So, so agricultural policies with massive subsidization, mm. uh, industrial policies with massive subsidization. And this is, I mean, the scene here is not only in the developing world, but also in the developed world.
0: Yeah.
1: And so the thing is that we have to be honest. Look, the system doesn't work that way if we are going to and also the idea after the war of this national security and food policies and this interrelation between one and the other is something that is not working anymore because it's creating a lot of distortion in worldwide and so we we need to rethink that in an honest manner saying look guys this is not working yeah you are going to support people we have to support people all the people if not we perhaps we need to rethink the system yeah because if the problem with agriculture agriculture is such a problem that we are not able really to have like a non-regulated market and we really need to have always a regulated market so let's try to regulate the market for everybody leaving the playing field for everybody but no but we cannot continue handling this policy of saying look these people are going to be protected and these people are not going to be protected because this is against the rules yeah. that's to put it blunt so this is something else that i i think that is at the core of the of, of a possible solution then then I think that we need regulations, and we need regulations soon, and we cannot continue being stuck by the rule of consensus. And, for instance, in, we have not been able to agree to in a proper regulation on e-trade. The reality is way over the WTO regulation. Yeah. I mean, this does not make sense at all. We need a regulation on E-Trade as soon as possible. It's mandatory. The other thing is that perhaps the situation now in E-Trade is not longer the, the most important situation. Artificial intelligence. I mean, we are facing artificial intelligence and we are facing the trade of artificial intelligence and how intel- artificial intelligence trade itself and we have no regulation whatsoever and it's not, on even, on, on is not even being discussed exactly <laughs> the topic of my research that is illicit trade and the impact of illicit trade in the in the in in the world trade regulations is something that has been impossible to to be brought in a proper manner here into the wto so we need to change the way we do things mm. but in order for being able to do that, members should be able to uh, perhaps get rid of, give up some of their powers and the powers of, of, of veto. Yeah. Um, in order really to, to be able to advance the agenda because otherwise it would be impossible to really Make something worthy, and in particular related to this issue of of we need an effective organization able to regulate trade.
0: Yeah, it's true. Having a negotiation between two parties is difficult. Imagine having a negotiation between a hundred and sixty-four. Yeah, it's almost a
1: miracle. Um, Well, you're heading, uh, but perhaps perhaps, and I will say this because I am in my way out. (laughs) <laughs> but I think that we need to rethink the systems of preferences in the WTO, okay. because we need the the reason why trade negotiations work is because people have ambition. And in order for people to have ambition, they need to have incentives. Yeah. But the systems, the preference systems, are creating. fields and rooms where there is no incentive to make progress. So, we need to, to think those because if, they, if these systems of, um, and I will say it of unilateral preferences and the systems eventually of regional agreements, are not part of the solution but part of the, mm-hmm. of the deadlock, we cannot continue having those systems in place. We have to ad- address this case by case, but we need to have a thorough conversation on that.
0: Yeah.
1: It's not, I mean, we cannot continue having a system where some members are not really interested in engaging because, of these, yeah. because they have everything settled or they only have one concern that is. A particular topic, and if they nobody moves can on that without, topic, without it, yeah. And and the other thing is that the fact that you have a, an interest does not mean that the other 163 members have the same interest. Yeah, you have to make your way in order to convince others to support your point, um, and and that's also that we need to 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 bear in mind in this process. Yeah.
0: Yeah you're right I you give some really good thoughtful reflections on this matter but now you, you mentioned it yourself you're you're heading back yeah. so
1: uh, you're going back to to the government yeah what what will you be doing i i, I am expecting to be the head of legal affairs yeah. of international legal affairs at the international legal affairs
0: bureau In, so is the the, the, of Trade?
1: the body that you were the division that you used to come the one that From, you were yeah. <laughs> surprised to find out about. Yeah, I was the one that I <laughs> thought that I was like, are you sure that this is... I mean, no. You are joking. Perhaps you are keen. This is... The, it's not clear that this kind of unit exists in the Colombian government. Not actually, there is this unit. And <laughs> so,
0: it's funny that it's coming full circle for you.
1: Yeah, it's 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 funny. I am... 'm I'm, I'm very proud of of my of the of the trade diplomats of the government trade diplomats and i'm very proud of becoming i've been part of the of the of the trade the government trade diplomacy and going back to Colombia and continue serving my country when i got recruited, i told a friend of mine that this was like a military service and i was thinking that it was going to be a couple of years, and then, well, here we are, uh, 13 years after. And the problem is that this is a very exciting career, and I and I love what I do.
0: Yeah.
1: And I also got the support of, uh, of my wonderful wife and kids. That I, perhaps I, I should start saying this is that well, that's the most important part of my life. Yeah. And my 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 parents as well. But the fact that my wife was able to to, well, she has been able to, to, to support me and to back me up uh, all this way here is the reason why uh, I have been able to to work. Perhaps something that I, I think that is very important is that it's also this this mindset that I think in for Latins in, is very important to to work together and to and uh, that I believe in this in this in in the relevance of the region and the relevance of Latin America as a region as a as one of cultural unity in, and the relevance of of this region and the the Latin people in the in the context of the of the world trade and and I, I I don't see Colombians just as Colombians, but as but as Latins and, yeah. and um, parts and, and of And the relevance this of the group has, I think, increased in the in the last few years. Yeah, I I I, I like to think that we that I have been able to contribute to that. So yeah, there's a, there's like a high degree of coordination that it's
0: apparent uh, and it has happened in the last few
1: years I think this. Yeah no I think so and I think that Latins should continue working in, in that sense of course in a very interactive manner and engaging very much with the other groups but but also remembering that we have a common origin and that we represent a uh, a legal culture and a trade culture yeah. and a that in that sense we are unique, and uh, and I also I, I was also trained and educated in this tradition that Latins support the rule of law,
0: yeah,
1: the international rule of law. And when I when I was when we were at the beginning of this conversation, I was talking about some particularities of of the civil service and the different bureaucracies around Latin America and, and I can tell you that I really admire my colleagues from, from, from other countries of Latin America eh, that are, and I have learned a lot working with them eh, from the Mexicans and the, the fantastic tradition that you have at the Secretary of Economy. Mm-hmm. And, the resilience with the Itamaraty and the, the Argentinians, the Chileans, the Peruvians, that are my colleagues almost in every negotiation that I have been involved in, in and well, of course, of course, of, of the Venezuelans, that Colombia and Venezuela are like twin countries. So mm-hmm. so for us, the, for us, I mean, of course, the situation nowadays is very complicated, but in, when I started my career, I remember working a lot with venezuelans of course this has not happened for a for oh, a long right. time mm. um, anymore
0: well uh i'm really happy that we had this candid conversation where you told us a lot about your experience thank you and very much. I, I look forward to seeing you back here in geneva whenever you you're back mm. and thank you
1: mauricio thank you very much Rodolfo.